Hello, and welcome to the Living Word Pensacola podcast. Here you will find teaching from our weekly services where we focus on developing a Christ-centered life. We are delighted you have chosen to spend time with us today, and we know today's message has the power to help you grow with your faith journey. So, let's turn our hearts and our minds to God's Word as we begin today's episode. Well, good morning. It's a morning of victory, of celebration, of praise. I'm so excited. So let's talk about everything that's wrong, right? Oh, I know. Anybody into politics? Should we talk politics in church? Is that acceptable? Does God allow that in church? It's crazy, right? How many, how many have that exact same response every time? So I, we went to Guitar Center this week. Brock and I went over. Brock took me to the gym. Brock is now my personal trainer. He's going to help me get fit. So if I've sat down halfway through the service, it's because Brock worked me hard at the gym yesterday, and I'm a little sore. But he's got me on a diet plan, and he got me on a meal. We meal prepped, got my healthy food, and he's encouraging me, and more of a motivation than anything else, and I'm appreciative of it. I mean to joke about it, but we went over yesterday to work out. We also went into Guitar Center. While we're in the Guitar Center, uh, we were checking out with this guy and setting up the church account and everything. And um, he starts saying something about things that have changed with 501c3s because of the governor. And then he gets into politics and he's about 30 minutes, 30 seconds down that road. And the lady from the other register walks across and stops him and says, are you talking politics again? Really need to watch that. And all of a sudden there was this hesitation and I'm like, it's fine. I started it. We're talking about this. It's all good. But how many times you end up in a situation with people and all of a sudden somebody starts talking politics and everybody in the room moans and you get this, oh, like seriously, or you know that one person that always wants to talk politics and you're like, I just, I don't have space for that today. I just, it's just, there's just so much garbage, so much junk, so much tension, right? Because of forced regulations is what they're trying to do with the gender wars and, and the race wars. They're basically trying to say that the government is the answer for everything and you should surrender everything to the government. That's what's happening is the devil is trying to push everything, everybody into a surrender to the wrong God. And that's what he's trying to do, right? So how many, how many have the perfect job and never have any issues at work? Right? You do? By faith. I was like, you're self-employed. It's just you at home. So I, do you, you have a good boss. <laughs> She's a little hard sometimes. She's cracking the whip and keeping things, right? But I don't ever, I've, I've tell people this too. Uh, when I was in management and, and talking to employees that were like, you know, if I want to do this, I want to do that. And I said, remember, you're never going to find the perfect job. You just got to find the job that the imper- imperfections you can live with. Because there's going to be imperfections everywhere you can do. And sometimes there's imperfections that you just can't live with. It's just too much or it's not working with what God's telling you to do, so on and so forth. But you're never going to find a job where everything's just copacetic. It's just not out there. Why? Because every job has people. And people are imperfect. And where there's imperfect people comes in perfect situations. And there's going to be stuff that happens, right? But that's the awesome part about what I want to talk about this morning is we live in an imperfect world. But it's, it's all in how we view where we are to see victory in our life, right? Right? So I'm at the gym yesterday. And I'm thinking to myself, I'm fat. I'm overweight. I don't like it. I don't have a lot of energy. I've got a lot of boys with a lot of energy, you know. <laughs> I need to be able to keep up, right? God's calling me to produce this church. We're calling to produce this ministry out of what he's asking us to do, right? It requires something of me. I cannot stand up here as pastor without having spent time in prayer this week, having spent time in preparation, having asked the Lord, what do you want to share, right? 
So how can I expect to live long and see the full picture if I'm not willing to do it all three parts of my being? Spirit, soul, and body, right? Body might be last, but the Bible does say it profits little. It does say that one of the scriptures, you know, focus on the body, profits little. It still profits some, not as much as profit spirit, but it does profit some. But how, how, how great would it be if I spent all this time in prayer and I got all this way in the spirit, but my body died because I didn't take care of my body and not able to do what God wants me to do because my body didn't last as long as my spirit did, right? Now, I do realize that I have spiritual principles that will help with the body side. I can speak to my body and say, come in alignment, soreness, go away, right? Body, you're healthy, whole, healed. I can start speaking to my body and I can watch it miraculously come into shape better than ever could on its own in this fallen world by applying faith to the situation, which I'll see better results throughout. But we have to realize that that strength, that, that improvement comes through resistance comes through persecution, comes through, I'm putting, I'm doing resistance training. That's what bodybuilding, that's what muscles is, right? You want more muscles, you need a little bit more resistance, and then your muscles are like, hey, we need to get stronger. Because what basically happens when you're lifting weights is you're beginning to do small, tiny tears, and the protein comes in to rebuild your muscle stronger, and it gets bigger and bigger because it's realizing I need to grow stronger to do what needs to be done, right? There's resistance. Your spirit man's the same way. Your faith grows the same way. We live in a world full of resistance, right? And we can succumb to that resistance and become this weakling that's pushed to and fro with every wind of doctrine, or we can begin to grow our strength and we can stand against the wiles of the devil. And we can stand. You'll see victory and freedom when you realize that my faith is the same kind of muscle as my natural muscles are. And I need to exercise my faith muscle. So here I challenge you today, becoming the end of this year, what's your faith on next year? If you say, oh, I'm not really sure, Tell them you're in the wrong. There needs to be something, something, and write it down, beginning of the year. I'm, I'm believing God for this. I'm putting my faith on this. And then as it happens throughout the year, go back and celebrate the victory and find something else to put your faith on. Good. You need to be constantly using your faith, right? Faith without works is dead. You gotta do something with your faith. Now, why all the pressure in this world? Why is there so much chaos coming through? It's not just because God wants you to grow your faith. It's because this is a fallen world right? This is a world that's dying. But let's go back. I always like to look at Jesus and say, you know, what did Jesus do when he encountered some persecution, right? So we're going to turn to Matthew chapter 26. We're going to talk about a time in Jesus' life where he went through some pressure. Now, this is a really interesting story because this is a story that's often mistold and misrepresentation of Jesus. But this is Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane, which that word Gethsemane actually means the oil press. The reason being is because this was a garden at the base of a giant hillside that was all olive trees, and they would do the olive harvest, bring it down into the Garden of Gethsemane, and that's where the olives were pressed. So Gethsemane actually means the oil press, and that's where they got olive oil from the harvest of olives, okay? So he went into the Garden of Gethsemane, and he said to his disciples, sit here, I go and pray over there. He took with him Peter and the two sons of Zebedee, and he began to be sorrowful and deeply distressed. Okay, sorrowful and deeply distressed. The Passion Translation says this, an intense feeling of great sorrow plunged his soul into deep sorrow and agony. Deep sorrow and agony. Now, a lot of people will look at this story in the New Testament and think Jesus didn't really want to die on the cross because later on it says, not my will, but your will be done. So they look at this story and think, well, Jesus didn't want to die on the cross and he was submitting his will. But I 
don't exactly think that's what the Bible is telling us here. And let me explain. Now, verse 38, he said unto them, my soul is exceedingly sorrowful even unto death. Stay here and watch with me. I want to pause here for just a second, a brief side rabbit trail. How many times has there been something going on in someone's life, right? And they're saying, I need you to pray for me. I need you to do whatever. And in that moment, you're like, yes, I'm standing in faith with you. And then you never think about it again throughout the week. Right? I'm a little convicted here, right? Because he took his disciples. I mean, these were, this is, he didn't take all of them. He only took a couple. He took three people with him. He says, stay here and pray with me. I'm going through something. I need your prayers, right? When you're in a disciple relationship with someone else, when there's someone that's helping to grow you or even someone that's, that's over you walking through something and they come to you and say, I need you to stay here and pray with me, it's something we need to take seriously, right? And they, all they could do was to pray for a little bit and they had fallen asleep. A little side rabbit trail there. Anyway, stay here and watch with me. Verse 39, he went a little farther and fell on his face and he prayed saying, oh, my father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. Now, the Passion Translation says, my father, if there's any way you can deliver me from this suffering, that word cup also translates into the word suffering. Please take it from me. Yet not what I want is not important, for I only desire to fulfill the plan for your life. Okay? So in other words, if possibly saying, take away this cup of suffering, and the cup becomes a metaphor of a great suffering that Jesus had to drink that night in the garden. He went through a time of suffering. There's times in our life where we're going to feel this way, where we're just going through a time of great suffering and great sorrow, okay? However, Jesus was not asking the Father for a way around the cross. Rather, he was convinced that this time of suffering was going to kill him, and he wasn't going to be able to make it to the cross, there are times in the life where the devil is going to try to take you out before you ever produce what God's asking you to do. That's what he's doing. He said he's dropping great sweats of blood, which means there are some serious physical things going on here, and he feels like to the point of he's going to die. That's what he's drinking this cup of suffering. He really feels like he's going to die. But we know from Hebrews that his side had to be pierced and blood and water had to flow. These were the prophecies in the Old Testament that had to be fulfilled, Right? not just the sweating of blood that wasn't prophesied in the Old Testament. So he knew this is not my time to die. Too many times in our life, we reach a point of great suffering and sorrow that's trying to prevent what God's trying to produce in our life. But it's not, it's not that we don't want to produce something which also has some suffering and sorrow in it, right? There's a birthing process. I'll talk about that in a minute. But according to the Old Testament, Jesus was pierced on the cross. We learned that in Hebrews. The cup he was asking God to let pass from him was the cup of premature death. The Satan was trying to take him out. And he was you know, sweating drops of blood. But the prophecies needed to be fulfilled. So God answered his cry. And it actually says, because we read this um, over in Luke chapter 22, verse 43, that God sent angels to minister to him and to help him. Because the same story is told in Luke chapter 22. But in that, that version, when Luke was writing it down, God answered the cry. He lived through the Garden of Gethsemane so he would be our sacrifice for sin on Calvary. You know, Jesus didn't waver in the garden. He's brave. He was ready to do it, but something was trying to take him out prematurely. Something was trying to prevent him from producing what God needed him to produce in this world, to fulfill the prophecies. There are things that are gonna come after you to try to prevent you from doing what God's called you to do. 
Verse 40, he came to his disciples and he found them sleeping. And he said, what, could you not watch with me for at least an hour? I mean, these guys are not even, an hour later, they're sleeping. They're gone. And he's in there under great suffering and great personal, you know, pain. And, he, and he's like, Lord, let this pass from me. I need some healing from this. I don't know what this is, but it's trying to prevent me from hitting the cross. So we got to look at this a little bit different. Jesus never went to the Garden of Gethsemane to try to get out of being in the cross. He wanted to be exactly what God wanted him to be. But the devil tried to take him out sooner than that. Now, are we willing to suffer with Christ? This word suffering has several different translations, that cup of suffering that he's talking about. But it also ties back in all the way to the Old Testament. When Adam and Eve were in the garden, and Eve sinned, and God looked and said, you're going to have pain in childbirth. There's a connection between that word and the Greek word from Old Testament to New Testament, and that word suffering is a birthing process. It is a process of producing something. So the process of bringing something spiritually into this world, like we talked about a few weeks ago, there was the birthing of summer camp. It had some pain in the process, right? And I was saying, Lord, deliver me from this pain that's trying to take out my marriage so that we can produce this summer camp that you're calling us to do, right? There was pain in the birthing process of bringing about this church. Now, it's not physical pain, no one's stabbing me in the side or whatever, but there's, there's some intense prayers. Lord, I don't see how this is going to happen, and I don't even know what this, I, you know, there's a lot of work that goes behind all of this. But that birthing process of producing something in the Spirit requires something of you. Now, Matthew 20, 20, we're going to jump here, and then we'll jump back. The mother of Zebedee's sons, remember the two sons that Jesus took with him in the Garden of Gethsemane? The mother of the sons came to him and said with her sons kneeling down and asking something from Jesus, he said to her, what do you wish? She said to him, grant these two sons of mine that they may sit one on your right hand and one on your left hand in your kingdom. And Jesus answered, says, you don't know what you ask. Are you able to drink the cup that I'm about to drink? What he's referencing is, are you, are you ready to suffer the way that we're suffering? You're wanting to be on the right hand and left hand. You're wanting authority and power in the kingdom of heaven. Are you ready to suffer? Are you ready to walk the path of suffering and be baptized with the baptism, baptism that, I'm suffer, that I am baptized with? And they said to him, we're able. And he said, well, you'll indeed drink my cup. In other words, you're gonna suffer alongside with me. If you want to have this in the kingdom, then there's gonna be suffering required, which tells me that if it was required, then it's required now. If you want something in the kingdom of heaven, there's gonna require a little bit of suffering. Nowadays, you know what most of that suffering is? putting our flesh down. What did Paul say? I, I die daily. I choose to kill my flesh. I'm not going to do what I want to do. That's a lot of the suffering because this world is full of selfish people, people that only focus on what benefits them, what feels good to them. And, and as long as it feels good to me and I don't think it hurts anyone else, then anything goes. And that's what they're trying to convince this world right? I can be whatever gender I want to be. As long as it's not hurting you, then it's okay. And there is this misconception and there is this emphasis on the flesh. It's humanism that your flesh is now God in your life. It's humanism is basically what it is. Where God's saying, if you want to have the kingdom blessings and be a son in the kingdom, there's going to be the suffering. In other words, you're going to have to put your flesh down for to come into the kingdom. He says, you'll indeed drink my cup and be baptized with the baptism that I am baptized with. There's a tongue tangler right there, I'll tell you what. But to sit on the right hand and left hand is not mine to give, but for those whom this prepared by my father. In other words, I don't even have authority to give that away. That's up to my father. Let's jump back to Matthew 26. 
Verse 41, watch and pray, lest you enter into temptation. For the spirit is indeed willing, but the flesh is weak. Jesus laid out to the disciples exactly why they, did, they fell asleep, exactly why they did not make it in the Garden of Gethsemane. Their spirit might have been willing. They might have thought they could do what was necessary, but their flesh was weak because they didn't take the time to die daily, sacrifice the flesh, give up to the, your own desires to pursue what God has. There are times God's going to ask you to do things that don't seem convenient to where you are and what you're doing right now. And he's saying, what's most important? What's most important? But see, do you want to see victory? Do you want to see success? Do you want to see prosperity in your life? It's time to walk away from things that you think are important and say, God, what is important to the kingdom? Now, the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. Verse 42, again, a second time, he went away and prayed, oh, Father, if this cup cannot pass away from me unless I drink it, your will be done. And he came and he found them asleep again for their eyes were heavy. So this time he didn't even wake them up. He didn't even wake him up. There's going to be a whole bunch of people in the New Testament that are asleep. There's a whole portion of the church that's completely asleep. And God's warned them and warned them. And when he comes back, he's just going to let them sleep. Don't be in that group. Don't be in that group. There's the warning. So he left them and went away again and prayed a third time in the same words. In verse 45, he came to his disciples and said, Are you still sleeping and resting? Behold, the hour is at hand, and the Son of Man is being betrayed in the hands of the sinner. Rise, let us be going. My betrayer is at hand. But God wants to produce the kingdom through us. He wants us to die daily to the flesh, walk through that part of suffering. Why is that a part of suffering? Because our flesh really wants to do some things. Our flesh would rather sit on the couch instead of go to the gym. Right? I know my flesh did. Right, there's, not, there's things and resistance that we need to walk through. Well, you know your spirit man's the same way? Your flesh would rather sleep instead of your spirit man getting up and communing with the Lord in the morning and spend time praying and reading your Bible. I was just talking to someone this week. It's about setting the habits and patterns, right? If I choose to go to the gym three times a week, whether I'm doing the intense workout that's necessary to get to where I'm at or the fact that I'm just going, I walk on the treadmill, I lift a little weights, I'm setting the habits and patterns. The same way spiritually, get up and read your Bible for five minutes every morning and pray for five minutes. That's 10 minutes. It's not a whole lot of time. Not asking you to commune and get in the spirit for an hour and a half every morning before work. 10 minutes. But if you do 10 minutes every day, six months into this 10 minutes every day, you're gonna have a habit and you're gonna begin to crave more and it's gonna turn into more than just 10 minutes a day because it won't be enough. Once you start working on your body and go to the gym, there is a point, because I've done this before. I've been down the health process before and walked away from it all. How many people have been down the spiritual process before and walked away from it all? Right? But I've been down this before, and there comes a point in time where you start desiring to go to the gym, where it actually helps you feel better, and you're stretching your muscles, and you're working your muscles, and you're feeling good about what you're doing. It's the same way spiritually. But God wants you to produce the kingdom, and he wants to produce the kingdom through you. Now, the great, the great illustration of how he wants to produce the kingdom through you is the entire book of Ephesians. The entire book of Ephesians is fantastic. As a matter of fact, in Ephesians, we'll talk about this at the end of the message, but there's a prayer in Ephesians that is going to be the prayer over our church for 2024, and I'll talk about that as we go on today. But let's go to Ephesians chapter 5. Ephesians chapter 5 verse 14 says this. Therefore, he says, awake, you who sleep, arise from the dead, and Christ will give you light. Now, I thought this was a great place to 
jump in because we just talked about the sleeping disciples. We just talked about the sleeping church. And we just talked about a lot of people out there that are spiritually asleep, right? Awake, you who sleep, arise from the dead. Christ will give you light. That word light translates this. Divine truth, direction on a path, aroused from sleep. And I thought, aroused from sleep. And it, actually the definition in the Strong's Concordance, I thought, well, that's kind of weird. But you know, I noticed something a while ago. Um, I use my watch as an alarm. I set an alarm on my watch. I plug it in in my truck. And I noticed one morning, I started waking up like this and I'm like, I'm waking up before my alarm goes off and I look up and I see my watch on and I'm the one that likes to black everything out. I want it dark, 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 you know, black. We slept really good. We went to my uncle Larry's house on vacation and he's got a room in the basement, in the back corner of the basement. It was like an add-on that has no windows, right? It's completely carpeted. It's, there's like two room, there's like a bathroom and two rooms between it and anything else. And Tiffany and I went down there and it is the hole. It is pitch black. There is no light from any source. And we always sleep with a little bit of a fan on. I slept so good. Kids can get up and be screaming through the house and you will hear nothing. It is the pitch black hole. And that's kind of how I prefer it, right? In my semi, I've got windows covered. I got curtains pulling, all these things covered. And I began to wake up and look at my watch and I'm like, I'm waking up like a few minutes before my alarm's going off, right? And then I started watching. Did you know that when you use your watch as an alarm, right, about five minutes before your alarm goes off, the watch comes on dim and shows you the time. And in that five-minute process between the time that it turns on and time your alarm goes off, your watch is actually getting brighter and brighter and brighter and brighter because it's actually proven, science likes to prove the scripture, right, that those slow introductions of light is the easiest way to wake up instead of a loud alarm, alarm, loud alarm, there's a tongue tangler. Instead of a loud alarm going off and jolting you out of sleep, a slow introduction of light, like sunrise in the morning, is the most gentle way and easy way for your body to wake up. And I thought, arouse from sleep. The more light you bring into your spiritual life, the more awake your spirit man becomes. So what are you bringing in? It says verse 15, See then that you walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise. And I thought, Jeff isn't going to understand what circumspectly means because I don't understand what circumspectly means. So I better look it up. It means exactly, accurately, and diligently. See then that you walk exactly, precisely, accurately, diligently, not as a fool, but as a wise man, right? Because walking accurately, diligently, is how light is obtained. Verse 16, redeeming the time because the days are evil. Did you know that you can redeem the time? How many of you thought, man, I missed out on this or I missed, I didn't even get saved until I was in my 40s or I, I just even know. The Bible says you can redeem the time because spiritual maturity and natural maturity are on different timetables. You could have someone who is born again at 14 years old and have been in church their entire life and still be a baby still be on the milk of the word, not diving in for themselves, waiting for someone else to feed them and just going to church every Sunday to get their bottle. You can also have someone who got born again at 42 and pressed into the things of God and becomes a spiritual adult by the time they're 44 and they just grow and grow because they are hungry and they know they need it and their maturity level in the spirit is completely different than the natural. God says you can redeem the time because the days are evil. Verse 17, therefore, do not be unwise, but 
understand the will of the Lord. You know, the first step to bringing light into your life is understanding his will. You know, the first place that you'll find the will of the Lord is in the word, is reading the word. Why do you think that it's so important to read the word? It's telling us because he says, I'm the same yesterday, today, and forever, right? If someone came to me and said, I heard the word of the Lord on the inside telling me, and they bring something out and it's contrary to something I know in scripture, I'm going to say, that's not God because God will not contradict himself right? Anything that God said is going to add to what he's already said, because this is the same. No one will add to it. No one will take away from it. The word of God is infallible. And I believe that it was a holy inspired word of God, right? And he is the same yesterday, today, and forever. So if you know God's leading you something on the inside, it's going to line up with the word of God. But do you understand what the will of the Lord is? Do you spend time every day reading what the will that is already written so that you will hear his voice more clearly when he's speaking to you going, that sounds like what I read in the Bible. You want to know how I hear God's voice on the inside more? Read his word. Because when he speaks to you, it'll sound like the same. You'll, you'll recognize it. Man, I've read that, right? I've read that. Mm-hmm. Now, verse 18, do not be drunk with wine, which is dispensation, but be filled with the Spirit. Now, a lot of people are like, okay, pastor's going to talk about drinking again. Don't be filled with wine. Do you know that um, says, do not be drunk with wine, which is dissipation, which actually means life abandoned, self-indulgent, selfish escape. Things that you do in your life that cause dissipation, that things that cause you to escape from what God is telling you to do, things that you feel like my life is so hard, I need to escape, I need to ignore. Could be drugs, could be alcohol, could be video games, could be movies, could be television, could be anything right? Is it an escape? Are you trying to escape reality into this whole fantasy world, right? It's like these movies I've seen, Ready Player One, where they put on this VR headset, and there's an entire world, and people in the natural are living in horrible situations because they want to be on this VR world where they can do whatever they want, and there's no reality. They want to live in fantasy. The devil's pushing fantasy nowadays. Through all the gender, through all this other stuff, he's pushing fantasy. This is all fantasy, You need to escape. But it says, don't be unwise. Understand the will of the Lord. Do not escape into fantasy, but be filled with the Spirit. Be filled with the Spirit. How do you get filled with the Spirit? Faith comes by hearing and hearing and hearing and hearing and hearing. Spend time in the Word. Spend time in prayer and praise at night. If you come in on Sunday mornings, is this the only time you're praising God? Right? That's wrong. You need to be doing it throughout the week. I don't care if you can sing or not sing. It says the Bible says the rocks will cry out. Make a joyful noise. And if you don't want anybody else around, that's fine. Don't have anybody else around. But that melody should be coming out of your relationship with him. It should your heart singing is a is a and is an expression of joy that's going on on the inside when you've spent time with the Father. Right? Psalms and hymns and spiritual songs speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs just like it says in the exact next verse singing and making melody in your heart to the lord giving thanks always for all things to god the father in the name of lord jesus christ when's the last time you were just grateful you were just grateful right there are times where you know i need something in my life right i'm going to believe god for this i have a financial challenge that's going on so i'm going to say god thank you i ask right now that you send finances my way you put me in the right place at the right time that blessing is mine because i have this financial challenge right and you ask him in jesus name then you don't go back the next day and ask him again and go back the next day and ask him again 
right? It's not what a little kid does. Once we know, the Bible says he will bless us, right? We know that. If you come to the Father in my name, whatsoever you ask, it shall be given to you. I ask you for this. From that point on, if you wake up the next day and you don't see the blessing or the freedom or the healing or whatever you believe in God for, do you believe, well, it didn't work. I need to ask again. That's where a lot of people get hung up. No, we shift at that point to just thanks. God, I know you're sending this and it's on its way and I just thank you in advance for my healing, my blessing, whatever it is I'm standing in faith for, I just thank you for it. That heart of thankfulness keeps us in faith, keeps our faith active. We've already asked him for it. We already know it's ours because he promised it to us in the Bible. Now we just thank him for it. A thankful heart will change your outlook and your vision and your perception. It's a different lens of glasses that you put on. A thankful heart will change situations you have with coworkers at work. If there's someone you're struggling with, you go to work thankful, it's easier to deal with people like that. Because you're like, you know what? It's not worth it. It's not worth getting an argument, not worth letting them ruin my life and let them control my emotions. Just let it go. I'm just thankful heart. Thank you, Jesus. Lord, I've put them in your hands. Grateful heart changes your whole outlook. God wants to produce the kingdom through you, but it's time that we need to be a representative in this world instead of trying to escape and hide, right? See, that's the problem with the politics of this world. It's most people are like, I don't want to deal with it. I don't want to focus on it, so I'm going to just not vote. You just do your thing. I'm just going to be over here and live my life, not realizing that by making that choice, they're encouraging the darkness to get darker. I'm just going to escape over here. We have a responsibility in this nation to do what God has called us to do. We are supposed to pray for those in authority. When's the last time you prayed for your president? Now, right now, it's a little hard because I don't like the guy. It's not easy to pray for someone you don't like. It's the same way at work. If I don't like someone, but God says, pray for those that despitefully use you because that's how it works in the kingdom. And you're like, well, I do feel despitefully used by the government right now. <laughs> right? So I suppose I'm supposed to pray for him. And no, I'm not supposed to use prayer as a weapon. Father, I thank you that you take president home and be with you right now. No, that's not how prayer works, right? That's, you that's not anywhere. You can't find that in the scriptures anywhere. It's not in there. Let's just cross that off, right? We're supposed to pray blessings over them. Father, I thank you that you're sending laborers across his path to tell him about you, that you're opening and speaking to him, Father, that you're bringing healing and restoration into our government, into our leadership, so that there might be peace in our nation. That's what we're supposed to be praying, but how many people get frustrated with something and put it on a shelf and don't even take their, re their responsibility role in this, whether through prayer, through voting, through whatever, they just chunk it all to the wind and put their head in the sand like an ostrich trying to escape. No, 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 no. You can't see me, I can't see you. It's childish. It's childish. God wants to produce the kingdom through us. What's the number one way that God produces kingdom through us that brings other people around? Right? Our witness. Who we are to everyone else. How we represent Jesus through our life. That's our number one tool is our actions, our words, our very being, everything of who we are. And Ephesians goes through this. In Ephesians 5.22, it says, Wives, submit to your own husbands and to the Lord, because our marriage is a witness. I could tell you the number of people that have come in and said, Man, I just, I've seen your kids. A hairstylist. All your boys have been in there, and they're so well-behaved. And how, how did you raise so well-behaved boys? And, and your wife is so awesome. You know, she was just going on and on. And I'm like, well, 
we're pursuing after the kingdom and right because our whole marriage and our whole family is a witness to a person now I remember Tiffany talking about going on a girls weekend up into Chicago with a bunch of people and she's sitting around and listening to all these ladies complain about their husband and she thought I don't want to sit here and complain about my husband right but there's sometimes when a group of people get together and they just want to complain about the spouse or complain about whatever right it says, wives, submit your own husbands in, as to the Lord. So if others don't hear or see submission in your words or in your actions, can they assume that you won't submit to God as well? Because if you're not submitting to your husband, you're not submitting to God. Now, again, I'm getting to the husbands. They're here in just a minute. I just happens to have wives first in the scriptures, so we're starting there, okay? Going in order. How often do you spend time praying for your husband? See, the Bible says that husband and wife are submitted to each other. I have given her my body. We have become one flesh, which means that my body is hers before it's even mine, which means if it's hers before it's even mine, then she has a higher authority in a prayer life over my physical body than even I do. And there are times where I have not felt good. And I went to her and said, lay hands on me and pray for me. And her authority changes things in my life even better than my own authority and vice versa. It's my responsibility to pray over her when there's things going on in her life. And I've been just as guilty as this of just going, wow, that sucks. Right? Instead of saying, I need to take authority and pray over this. I have a responsibility here in this because she submitted that to me like I've submitted this to her. How often do we pray for our wives? How often do we pray for our husbands? It says, verse 25, husbands, loves your wife as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for her. In other words, deliverer, committed. Give, that word give himself for someone is, is to give power, is to give commitment that he might sanctify and cleanse her with the washing of the word. So can other people see or hear you love your wife? And if they don't see or hear you love your wife, do they not see or hear you love the Lord? as Christ loved the church. They should see Christ's love for the church in your love for your wife. Should be a direct reflection and example of it. Do you wash her with the word? Are you speaking the word of God over your wife? And are you speaking God's word directly over everything that's going on in her life? Do you, say, do you stay silent when other people are bashing their, bashing their spouses or talking negatively? Or do you step in and say, that's not how we're supposed to treat our spouse. You'll see a bunch better result when you start praying and start teaching, right? Instead of just stepping back. But see, you know, the, the three areas that he covers here, marriage, kids, and work in Ephesians, are the three areas where most people are like, well, don't tell them how to parent their kids. I heard that a lot. And especially in youth ministry, I started off as a youth pastor. You know, you can listen, but don't try to tell people how to parent their kids. That really makes a lot of people mad. It's not scriptural, right? As a pastor, I'm supposed to be helping people understand, right? I used to tell teenagers this all the time. They would come to me and they would have a complaint about mom and dad. I said, all right, here's our resolution. All right, I'm listening to you. I hear you. Step one, you go tell mom and dad exactly what you told me and have a conversation with him. You don't want to do that? Okay, we go together to mom and dad. Let's have this conversation and you're going to tell them exactly. You don't want to do that? I'm going to your mom and dad and tell them exactly what you just told me. Which option do you want? Because no matter what, the devil's trying to destroy a family. And I'm here to protect this family. And I'm going to do whatever it takes to keep the family picture whole. Because the family is the representation of the church. 
as representation of our kingdom in heaven. And how are we representing it? Why do you think it's most attacked? Marriages are attacked. The devil is out to destroy marriages. He's out to destroy families. There's a video Tiffany sent earlier this week that talks, you know, all the way back in the Old Testament, right? He's out to destroy families. All the way back to Adam and Eve, right? They have one kid, great. They have two kids, oh, kill him. He's out to destroy families, tear families apart. So it goes on to talk about kids, children, Obey your parents and the Lord for this is right. Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment. Husbands and wives are going, amen. Let's get on to the kids now. So kids, does your obedience to your parents tell your friends about your relationship with Jesus? Or do they think you have no love for Jesus because you are unability to be obedient to mom and dad? Same thing applies. Does your obedience to your parents reflect your relationship with Jesus or does your disobedience show a disobedient heart towards your Savior? Do you represent Jesus in how you treat mom and dad, basically? Even as adults, do you represent Jesus in how you treat your parents? No matter what they deserve, no matter what you want to give them, right? Doesn't matter what they deserve. Should I tell the joke that I heard earlier this week? That was a really good one. <laughs> the man that went to Israel with his wife and his mother-in-law. And mother-in-law passed away. Mother-in-law passed away. And the rabbi came to him and said, I'm sorry for your loss. If you want to bury her in the States, I said the whole package, it's about $5,000. We'll get her shipped back home. We can have a funeral, so on and so forth. We do our very considerate. We realize you're in Israel and there's, you come to visit the Holy Land. If you want to bury her here, we, $150. We, we are sorry that it happened in our soil. We want to do this apology. The man thought about it long and hard, and he said, 5,000, let's ship her back to the States. And he said, really? And the rabbi was confused, and he says, well, it's only 150 if you want to do it here. And the man said, you know, 2,000 years ago, you buried a man in the ground, and he came back to life, and I can't take that chance. <laughs> that made me laugh. <laughs> No matter what kind of mother-in-law you have, no matter what kind of parents you have, do you honor them? Do you honor them? Does your honor towards your parents, despite what they deserve, show your relationship with your Savior? Then it says this, verse 4, Fathers, don't provoke your children to wrath, but bring them up in the training and admonition of the Lord. Now, there's a whole history here, fascinating history, because even in the Roman culture of this day, that word father actually translates into mother and father. It actually is talking about parents. It says father, and it was translated father, but it's actually talking about the parental household, which was very controversial with Paul because in the time of the Romans, the man owned everything. He owned his wife. He owned his children. He owned the slaves. And in the Roman culture of that day, which Paul was mostly preaching to the Romans. He was sent to the Gentiles, right? And he was also sent to be an intellect. And the fact that he would put in here, parents don't provoke your children wrath but bring them up in the training and admonition flew in the face of culture of that day the culture of that day was a child was born they would bring the child and set it at the father's feet and if the father picked the child up he was a son or a daughter if the father walked away the child was sold into slavery that's how they did it back then that i mean it's crazy i mean it's amazing right and there are times in roman culture and if you read through the roman history 
where it says if a baby was born with a defect or whatever, they would drown it. Right? You know, they weren't humane and abort the babies like we are today. Uh huh. Mm, yeah. We've not really evolved, have we? I mean, we look at this and we look at the Roman culture like, oh, that's horrible. How could they do that? Well, we're still doing it today. Somehow we've eased our conscience into saying, well, it's an abortion and it's somehow justifiable or whatever, but just as bad as they were because they viewed it as property. So the fact that Paul would not only say your parents together, being that the husband and wife having an equal relationship, but also saying that every child's important and train them up in the way of the Lord was flying in the face of children being slaves or being something different. He was trying to teach them kingdom principles and get them out of the way the world had fallen into. And then in Ephesians 6, 5 through 9, which isn't on there, Dave, but it talks about how do you represent Jesus at work? How you treat your employer should be a direct reflection on your relationship with God. How other employees see you interact with your boss should be a direct reaction. If you are treating your boss or talking bad about your boss or bad mouthing your boss to everyone else, they're thinking you're going to do that with all authority in your life. That's a direct representation of how you treat everyone else. But it's time that we get equipped. It's time that we get prepared for what God's called us to do. And it goes directly in from realizing that all of our life represents him to we need to be a full representation of gospel. But to do that, we have to get prepared. And this is where it goes into the armor of God. Follows directly from this in Ephesians 5, right into the armor of God in Ephesians 6. Finally, brother, verse 10, be strong in the Lord and the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to, uh, that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we don't wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers and rulers of the darkness and of this age and of spiritual hosts and wickedness in high places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand the evil day and having done all to stand, stand. Now, I read it all, but let's back up. For we don't wrestle against flesh and blood, right? When you are in your workplace or with other people and you are misrepresenting your spouse, your kids, your boss, so on and so forth, it's the enemy that's whispering in the ears of the other people and telling lies about you and trying to divide, wow, they're just horrible people, they're bad-mouthing the boss or whatever, going around and whispering. We don't wrestle against flesh and blood. Now, in the same sense, if you are in a situation where someone else is bad-mouthing, you can take authority over that, right? I've been in situations where I had a guy at work that would just run his mouth and drove me nuts. Most of the time I could handle it. There was one day that it got really bad. I went to the bathroom because this is what my mom taught me to do as a little kid and I didn't understand it in scripture. She actually taught me how to do this before I understood where this was and the principle that applied. And you know, the kingdom of heaven is that way. Sometimes God wants us to just learn how to do something and then he begins to show us where it is in the word. But anyway, I went into the bathroom and I just took authority over it. I said, Father, I am in this place. Everywhere foot of my sho- f- the sole of my foot shall tread is claimed for you. I claim this work for you. It is blessed because I am here. I speak to whatever is coming out of this person. I command him to be silent. It won't stir up trouble, won't cause problems in Jesus' name. Washed my hands, went back out. Within five minutes, that person, complete demeanor change. Silent for almost the rest of the day where people thought something was wrong or something had happened. I thought, this is great. It's quiet. <laughs> right? But you could take authority over that because that division, that dissension, that person is just being used by the enemy. This is being used by the enemy. They're leaning to the wrong kingdom. If it's negative, it's death, destruction, or whatever, they're yielding to the devil, whether they like it or not, whether they understand it or not, they're producing negative in their, out of their mouth. 
but you can take authority over it, especially when it's in your home or your place of business or somewhere you're at. You have authority. Know your authority. Now, it says we don't wrestle against flesh and God, but against principalities. Principality means the origin or the person who started it. We wrestle against the origin of some things. There were things that were allowed and that were done years ago in our, in our nation that we are now struggling with the result of something that was started a long time ago that was wrong. It was completely wrong. We're wrestling against the origins of things. There are things in your life that you allowed in way early on that should have never been allowed in that you're struggling with the principality of that in your life. Something that was started that should have never been started. Against powers, that translates into the power of choice, liberty as doing as one pleases or rule of government. That's the powers of this world is the liberty of choice. We don't wrestle against flesh and blood. You wrestle against the power of choice of doing what I want to do instead of what God wants to do right or giving power to the government which we've given too much power to the government and now we're wrestling with that against the rulers of darkness which is the god of this earth and satan now i find this interesting how many christians have you talked to that are struggling in their life and like the devil's just trying to get me well you know what on his list here devil's third in line first in line being things that you started you should never left in your life in your life in the first place which is you powers which is something that you assigned whether by giving it to yourself or to someone else so the first two in his list are things that have to do with you then he gets to the devil's attacking you but so many times in people's lives they're like oh the devil's just trying to keep me down when no you just made a stupid choice that you should not have made a long time ago and set yourself up to fail go back and root that up which has to be done in times of prayer. There's times where you got to fast and pray to get rid of this thing in your life that has a root there and get it out. Don't allow it to continue to produce negative fruit in your life. Dig that plant out. Now, the devil does try to come against people and he is the God of this world and we are fighting against him. He is on the list. But there are two other things first before we start dealing with the devil, right? The spiritual host of wickedness in heavenly places, which is the spiritual war that happens in the heavenlies. But in order to do this, in order to dig up the origins of things in your life, in order to, to struggle or to fight against that power of self-choice or whether power is given to the government or your flesh or whatever else, you have to take up the whole armor of God. You have to get prepared to do battle with things that are wrong. Whether it's things that are wrong that you allowed in and you started or something the devil's coming against you, you have to get prepared to deal with this the whole armor of God that you can uh, able to withstand in the evil day having done all stand now I'm going to break this down I'm not going to go verse by verse but it says this truth and righteousness that's the first thing he says get equipment the breastplate of righteousness right which is truth which is God's truth not man's truth see man's trying to attack what truth is man's trying to say well if it's true for you then it's true for you no truth is truth fact is fact fiction's fiction right? God created man and woman. That's it. And that's the truth. And that's the truth according to God. And that is the truth. So we have to be equipped with truth. When you're dealing with things in your life that are producing negative fruit, you first have to be equipped with truth. You have to know what does God say about this? With that truth, you are now equipped to fight against the enemy. Now there's more to it, but that's peace to it. Second one, equip your feet with peace peace should govern everywhere you go if you're getting stressed out and you're there's turmoil there's frustration in what you're doing and what you're traveling your feet are not shod with peace you need to get into peace where does peace come from the presence of god 
We need, to, we need to have peace everywhere we go. We talked a whole lot about peace in the past. I won't go into there. The shield of faith. That shield of faith is what's protecting you, right? What are you believing God for? What are you standing in faith for? The helmet of salvation. We should wake up every morning and say, Father, forgive me my sins, and I thank you for my salvation. I want to wash this day completely clean and wash my mind in the water of the word, right? Which is why it's important first thing in the morning to get into the Bible and get your mind straight. Put on that helmet of salvation, which protects what? Your brain, your thought process. Your helmet of salvation will bring your soul in line with your spirit by recognizing how important salvation is. Salvation is a consistent daily work. Then it's the sword of the spirit. Notice, the sword is your action piece, right? That's your action piece. Everything else is your equipment, protection, so on and so forth. That sword is the action piece, and it's the last thing that he talks about. You only do battle in the spirit. You never take that sword and do battle with people. We don't, we're not here to destroy people. People are precious to God. A lot of people want to take their sword of the word and tear people up. The Bible doesn't say to do that. Never says take the word and make it a damaging factor. I've had that happen in too many, too many people's lives. We have a friend that is a different, you know, girl with a girl, lesbian or whatever. They choose to be a different gender and someone else comes after them with the word of God as a sword which destroyed and pushed them further away from God instead of as everything else that God's telling them. We're not supposed to use the word as a sword. It's one thing to say this is truth, right? We know the spirit of truth and righteousness and that's governing our heart. But if we take the, the sword and try to attack someone with that, no. What's that sword for? It's the sword of the Spirit. You want to see change in somebody's life? Do battle in the Spirit. How much time have you spent praying for them before you ever had a conversation with them in the natural? Have you done battle in the Spirit before you ever do anything in the natural? You have to pray for them first. This is the armor of God to be able to go back and dig up the principalities, the origins, people that started stuff, whether it was you or someone else. Could have been great grandma that started a problem that has carried through generations of curses in your family that has been dealt with, whether alcoholism or drugs or whatever. Whatever, whatever the origin is, when you have on the armor of God, it helps you deal with those things so that you can do battle in the spirit with that sword of the spirit. Now, the armor is not for show. It's for use right? It's not just to put on just to look all good. Look at me. I got on the armor of God, right? Like I got on my blingy shoes and they can't ever get them dirty. I had a friend that was that way that would buy shoes and never take them out of the box. Now, I mean, eventually they would sell them or try to make more money because shoes appreciate and value and there was this whole market or whatever. But I can't ever, I like shoes, but I can't ever imagine buying a pair of shoes and not wearing them. Why would you buy shoes that you're not going to wear? I mean, I guess if it was a business and you're making that your business, that's fine. But there's some people that buy stuff just for show. Can't get it dirty, right? My mama had that. Towels in the bathroom. Those are guest towels. We don't use those towels. Those are for show. All right. Or the soap. Remember the soap that was shaped like a clam shell or whatever? Right? But you couldn't use it. That's just the decorative. That's the pretty soap. That's just for show, right? Well, it's soap, right? Doesn't it get your hands clean? Yes, but you can't use it. That's decorative soap. Right? Guess what? The armor of God is not decorative. It's for use. It's for use. It's for you to do something with. Ephesians 6.18, you want to know how to use the armor of God? Praying always with all manner of prayer and supplication in the spirit, being watchful to this end with all perseverance and supplication for the saints. You want to know how to effectively use your armor? It's time to spend time in prayer, which is why we're going to talk about this next year. But it's time to pray. 
It's time to do battle in the spirit to see change in the natural. Too many people want to do all the battle in the natural and they don't realize the spiritual powers that are behind it. We have to do battle in the spirit first to see change in the natural. Yes, there's things we need to do in the natural, but we should have been long dealt with it in the spirit beforehand. Okay? Praying always. What does that mean? Does that mean that we're always, we never have conversations with anybody because we're just busy praying 24 hours a day, seven days a week, right? No. You know what praying always means? That means that, all right, so if I'm with Dave and I spend the entire time and the entire day with Dave, we're going to have conversations that go in and out that last most of the day, whether we're eating or we're driving in the car or doing whatever, right? We're going to have consistent conversations. Well, Jesus is always with you. You are the temple of the Holy Spirit, and he is living on the inside of you, ever present, ever aware of the fact that you're carrying him everywhere you go, which means you're going to stop, and you're going to talk to him. You're going to spend time saying, oh, God, I recognize you, right? You're going to have conversations that start out of nowhere from five minutes ago because you paused for a while, and there was a bit of silence in the conversation. You're going to have times where you're just like, oh, thank you, Jesus, right? You're going to have times where you're like, Jesus, get that car out of the way. They're about to crash into something, right, because they're a crazy driver. Look at them Texas plates. Um, <laughs> verse 19, and for me, the utterance that might be given to you, that I might open my mouth boldly to make known the mystery of the gospel, for which I am an ambassador in chains, that I might speak boldly as I ought to speak. We do, we do battle in the spirit so that when we open our mouth in the natural, the gospel is what comes out, and people hear and proclaim the good news, and they see I might speak boldly as I ought to speak. When I'm in the situation and I need to proclaim the word of God, I've done the battle in the spirit and I have boldness to step out and say what God says is the truth, knowing that the battle that was done paved the way for the conversation that needs to happen. Now, Ephesians 1.15, this, this is the prayer over our church for next year and I encourage you guys to find it, highlight it, write it out, put it on a note card, do whatever you want with it, but I, I would love for everybody to be reading and praying this every morning. It takes about two minutes to pray this prayer. But this prayer is not only for our church, but it's for you personally. And it's one of those ones that I've prayed a lot throughout my life and is mostly memorized, but it says, therefore I also, and Dave, I don't think I put this in there because I just added it this morning, so... Ephesians 1 verse 15 and it's I don't even know if it's on your I did put it on your notes because I did that but I apparently did not put it in Dave's there but Ephesians 1 15 therefore I also after I've heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and your love for the saints I do not cease to give thanks for you making mention of you in my prayers that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ the Father of glory may give unto you the spirit of wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of him that the eyes of your understanding will be enlightened that you will know what is the hope of his calling and the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints and what is the exceeding greatness of his power towards us who believe according to the working of his mighty power which he wrought in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at the right hand in heavenly places far above all principality and power and might and dominion in every name that is named not only in this age but also in that which is to come and has put all things under his feet and gave him to be the head over all things to the church which is his body the fullness of him who fills all in all this for this year I'm going to begin to take this and as I'm praying it I'm praying it not only over me but over our church and over our people that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ the Father of glory may give unto living word Pensacola the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him may give unto Leslie the spirit of wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of Christ, that the eyes of your understanding will be enlightened, that you'll know the hope that comes in the calling that God has on this place. There's hope in that. That hope is an anxious anticipation, an excitement, the night before Disneyland for kids, 
That's what that hope means. That's how I can best describe it, right? The hope that we have, the hope. There's hope in this place. There's hope in knowing that God's gonna bring people in, this place is gonna explode and lives are gonna be changed and you're gonna be a part of that. And you were in the foundations of that. And there's people that he wants you to talk to that only Jennifer can get through to because of the way that she said it and they're gonna be willing to listen to her because of how she brings it out. There's hope and excitement in that. That's the hope of your calling. That's what we're praying over the church this year. That's what I encourage you guys. Highlight in your Bible, read it every day, speak it over yourself, speak it over the church, speak it over others that are here. Just let it ruminate inside of you and I guarantee you it's gonna begin to change the way you pray. It's gonna begin to change the way you see what God's calling you to do. It's gonna be able to change situations in your life. If you're believing God for something new, for a change, whether it be in the job or whether it be uh, looking for a Spouse, I'm pointing at you because you're the closest one to get married. He already found somebody. Oh, otherwise, I would have pointed at Dave. Uh, but anyway, because he's already got that box checked. Yep. But no matter what it is that you're believing God for, you begin to read this and you begin to thank him for it. And you watch him make the way straight. And it's better than you could have ever done on your own because he's got bigger plans than we could ever imagine. Father, thank you for this morning. You think so much further in advance than we do and you think so much bigger than we do. Father, we thought we'll meet in our living room and you had a place in mind. We think this place is kind of cool and you've got bigger in mind. There's businesses, there's ideas, there's, there's investments, there's profitable things in this world that you want to use us, Father, to bring kingdom, to bring finances in the kingdom, to bring blessing into the kingdom, to, to change people's lives, Father. There are things that you seeds you've planted on the inside of us that we're going to begin to pray out. Father, we're going to begin to spend time in your presence and begin to pray those things out, but they're bigger than we can even imagine with our head. They're going to get bigger than we could ever imagine they would. You've got so much more for us. Father, I thank you for the freedom in that. I thank you, Father, for the future. I thank you for what you've, what you've proclaimed over this place, what you've prophesied over this place. Father, and I thank you by that. By next summer, we're going to see dynamic change around here. We're going to see dynamic change around here. Growth is going to explode. Lives are going to be changed. People are going to be operating in, in new areas and new businesses and new things to come. Father, thank you for all that you've prophesied and proclaimed over this place. Thank you for opening the eyes of our understanding. Father, for bringing in more light. In Jesus' name, amen. Hi, this is Pastor Paul, and I wanted to thank you personally for joining us today. Now, if you enjoyed today's podcast, there are a few things you can do that will help us out. Hit the subscribe button and rate and review our podcast. If you would like to invest in helping us reach more people for Christ, head over to livingwordpensacola.com and click on the online giving button. Thanks again for joining us today. Now go out and tell somebody about the love of Jesus.